It's been estimated that more than 37 million Americans are affected by sinusitis every year. Could you be one of them? Signs and symptoms often include fever, headache, swelling of the nasal passages, tenderness over the sinuses, nasal congestion, and bad breath. Conventional approaches to these frustrations often include interventions like medications, which are decongestants, analgesics, antibiotics, antihistamines, anti-inflammatories, and even steroids. While these interventions often do provide some relief, they may not actually correct the root cause of the repetitive and annoying problems. A landmark 1999 Mayo Clinic study of patients with chronic sinusitis revealed that more than 96% of them not only had bacterial, but had fungal and viral infections as well. When you look a little closer, this actually makes sense. Many patients with sinus infections are given what? Antibiotics, which are used to wipe out bad bacteria, but they have the unwanted side effects of wiping out good bacteria as well. And without the good bacteria to keep things in balance, what likes to grow in deep, dark, moist cavities like the sinuses? You got that right, yeast. Therefore, it can be difficult to truly get rid of sinus infections until you treat the yeast, fungus, whatever words you wanna use. If you can relate to this scenario, it might be time to consider an integrative approach to solving the problem. Integrative medicine combines conventional medicine with complementary and alternative medicine, which patients feel provides them with the most comprehensive care. When it comes to sinusitis, an integrative approach incorporates natural antibacterials, antivirals, and antifungals to truly get to the root cause of the problem. Speaking of getting to the root cause of the problem, since many cases of sinusitis also stem from allergies, part of preventing these cases of sinusitis involves preventing the allergic response. I recommend two different products to help you with allergies and sinus issues this year. First, Seasonal Assist. Seasonal Assist contains quercetin, which is an antioxidant and flavonoid found in many plants like onions. It has anti-inflammatory properties and blocks the Cox and Lox enzymes like other anti-inflammatories would, but most importantly, it's a mast cell stabilizer. In other words, it prevents your mast cells from exploding, creating that allergenic cascade of itchy eyes and runny nose. Taking this can prevent those allergies, but you have to follow instructions on the label and load up and have enough in your system before allergy season for best results. Secondly, our sinus support product provides a four-pronged approach for your health. It contains the following four prongs. Number one, berberine and thyme are natural antifungals to hit that fungus that the Mayo Clinic found. Number two, N-acetylcysteine or NAC is a natural mucolytic, kind of like mucinex, to thin your secretions so that you can get them out. Number three, turmeric is a natural anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen to open up your airways. And number four, lastly, it also contains herbal immune boosters like Leuterococcus, which is Siberian ginseng and Andrographis. The dose of this product is three per day when you start to feel congestion or when you think you might be getting a cold or sinus infection, and it's typically taken for about a week. By using these two products, seasonal assist and sinus support, many of my patients are able to avoid use of antibiotics, preserving the good bacteria in their systems. Consider this to be one more way for you to be proactive instead of reactive when it comes to your health, something you know that's important to me if you listen to this show for long. As always, consult with your healthcare provider on the products you take and consider a consult with an integrative healthcare provider who may be able to better help you resolve your issues so you can enjoy all of the seasons. Use code SINUS for 10% off our seasonal assist or sinus support at yourlongevityblueprint.com. You cannot out-supplement a poor diet. You have to feed your kids real food, but you're going to pay for them up front, but they're going to save you money on the back end. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. 
My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. Today, we're doing something different. My great friend, Dr. CJ Clean, asked to interview me so that my audience could get to know me better. This is part one of a two-part series. In today's episode, I'll share how I was introduced to functional medicine and the clinic's humble beginnings. I'll share a bit about my doctoral project and some day-to-day challenges being in business, along with what has been the most rewarding part of my job. Let's get started. Welcome to Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. My name is Calla Queen, and today on Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast, we are flipping the script. I get to interview the brain power, the founder, creator, and owner of Your Longevity Blueprint, and owner of Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic in Hiawatha, Iowa, <laughs> among many things. Dr. Stephanie Gray is a functional medicine provider who helps men and women build sustainable and optimal health and longevity so that they can focus on what matters most to them. She helps women in midlife who feel like their bodies have betrayed them step back into their bodies by restoring optimal hormone levels so that they can regain their sleep, figure, mood, and feel amazing once again. She is known for keeping hormone replacement therapy sexy, safe, and effective. She has been working as a nurse practitioner since 2009. She completed her doctorate focusing on estrogen metabolism from the University of Iowa in 2011. Additionally, she has a master's in metabolic nutritional medicine from the University of South Florida's medical school. Her expertise lies within integrative anti-aging and functional medicine. She is arguably one of the Midwest's most credentialed female health providers combining many certifications and trainings. She completed the Advanced Fellowship in Anti-Aging, Regenerative, and Functional Medicine in 2013. She became the first BioT certified provider in Iowa to administer hormone pellets also in 2013. She is one of Dr. Narala Jacoby's SIBO doctor approved practitioners. She is also one of Dr. Jill Krista's certified mold literate providers. She has appeared on numerous podcasts, summits, and TV interviews. She is a contributor to various health publications, including Mind Body Green. She is the initial author of the FNP Mastery app and on Amazon's best selling author of Your Longevity Blueprint. She is the host of Your Longevity Blueprint podcast and co-founder of Your Longevity Blueprint Nutraceuticals with her husband, Eric. They enjoy spending time outdoors with their son, William, and they have founded Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic in Hiawatha, Iowa. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gray. This is weird, I have to admit. We'll have some fun here, but isn't it interesting and kind of difficult reading someone else's bio? I mean, I've I've done it a million times and it's sometimes like a tongue twister and you're like, oh yeah, thank you for that wonderful bio, CJ. Well, tongue twister, but also I still feel like it really doesn't truly accurately sum up all of the things that you have done and invested. I've always joked with you that the only reason why your book is a bestseller is because I wrote the foreword. (laughs) As you should. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that lovingly, though, too, because even in that foreword, it was so hard to articulate truly all that you've done. And I feel like this is really it's seemingly when you first read, you're like, wow, it's really impressive. But from my own personal experience of what I observe in you, it's still really lackluster and truly what you have invested in for your patience and your knowledge. And so it's so great to be friends with you. And I'm glad that you agreed to let me interview you so that I can help my patients and, and your providers and your followers to listen to really understand more of you on a deeper level and connect with you by answering some of these questions we have outlined for today. Oh, yeah, it was a good idea. I'm, I told you I'm a little bit nervous here. I don't know what all I'm going to share, but Let's have at it. We'll get rolling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so can you kind of walk us through what led you to where you're at today being a healthcare provider? 
Yeah, I think, and I share this in my book too. I was really fortunate to be raised, you know, my family, but raised in a family that always just appreciated a more natural approach to health. Our parent, my parents always took us to the chiropractor. We always had home cooked meals. We were engaged in physical activity. We just, I had a healthy upbringing and I know not everybody had that. Like our parents weren't feeding us mac and cheese all the time. Like the neighborhood mm-hmm. kids always had that. My mom on Easter Sunday actually joked, one of the neighborhood boys who we saw Sunday at church, I would always have to fix our meal and then he'd come over and I'd have to fix a mac and cheese because that's all he would eat. And And it's kind of funny to joke back on that, but like literally I was raised in a really healthy family. And so I think my appreciation for, I guess, staying healthy started young because my parents were self-employed. They had a super high deductible. Okay. This is like 30, 40 years ago, right? Now, a lot of people have high deductibles, but back then you worked at Rockwell, you didn't pay anything like to go to the doctor. And so because we had such a high deductible, my parents were always taking us to the chiropractor. That was probably my first real introduction to thinking differently. And that when I was having menstrual cramps, rather than be put on birth control, she put me on some progesterone boosting herbs. I mean, I think she was really ahead of her time back then. We were put on omega-3 fatty acids. We didn't even have sugar in our home. As I also mentioned in my book, my lemonade stand failed because I didn't know that we're supposed to put sugar in lemonade because we literally didn't really have it in the home. And so I don't know. I was just raised in a family that more appreciated this. And then I guess flash forward. You know, I did go to nursing school. I almost went to chiropractic school. Good friends are chiropractors, but I ended up in nursing school with the end goal of having prescriptive privileges. I think that's what really made up my mind is I thought if I become a chiropractor, I'm not going to be able to prescribe. Not that I want to prescribe a lot, but I knew if I became a nurse practitioner, I would be able to prescribe. And so I went straight through, got those prescriptive you know, privileges. And the nurse practitioner, Jennifer Swearingen, who's still in practice here in Iowa today, she had her own private practice. And my intent was to shadow her that last semester because I thought, you know, she's in private practice doing this. I, again, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family. And I thought, I want to be in private practice. I want to kind of do things my way and not have to essentially just manage medications all day. That's not why I went to nurse practitioner school. So I shadowed her with the intent of learning how to kind of run my own practice. And it just so happened that she had, she was learning functional medicine. And so the orthomolecular reps who you know, um, as well came in and were really just advising her on, you know, just biochemistry and like how supplements work. And they recommended this liver detox program. And I kind of thought, I had nothing to lose. I'll do this liver detox. And just even thinking back, even hearing you read my bio, that 10 years ago, you and I both, you know, were, were finishing A4M's program. That was a decade ago. That just sounds so long ago. But, but even longer than that ago, as I had shadowed Jennifer, I was introduced to orthomolecular. And I think that was a huge next introduction to functional medicine because I thought, Oh gosh, I got to stay in contact with this company. And they really did help me. I'm sure they've helped you too. just learn application of supplements and, you know, appropriate labs. And so they were a really good, good introduction. And then so be it one of my first patients out of grad school, gave me a flyer for American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And I think there was like a Suzanne Summers advertisement or something in there. And I said, I'm going to this. I don't know what this is, but it sounds like this is what I should be learning. And it and it was. And the rest is history. I immediately, I went to the hormone conferences and then I signed up for the fellowship and just flew through it. And at that time, no one else had completed the advanced fellowship in Iowa, only which we both know the late Marilyn Hines had. She was OB-GYN. And so I think I guess just when did I hear about functional medicine was a question. So I think my family kind of raised me with that mindset, desiring, wanting to get to the root cause of the problem. And the providers that I fortunately saw, you know, also had that mindset. And then I was able to shadow Jennifer Swearingen and meet the ortho reps. And then I went to A4M and everything just kind of fell in place. That's the short end of that, I guess. But hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just to kind of piggyback off that, 
functional medicine and just like with your, you know, all the nursing school that you had to do learning the cellular energy, how we gain energy from a cellular level from the fats and carbs and proteins we eat, the Krebs cycle, and just how functional medicine really then like fills the gaps of functionally, here's what goes wrong if we're lacking these basic nutrients. And so functional medicine really brings that like whole cellular biochemical physiological response internally and allows you to apply it with each individual patient. Totally. So you started foundationally and you had talked about too, even just the reason why you pursued the nursing is so that you could have the prescriptive rights. But what I witnessed you, Stephanie, with some of your patients to have the prescriptive right to be able to prescribe also allows you to pull patients off medications that they don't need or that are potentially causing them more side effects or creating other disease as a result. So I think too, not only just to prescribe, but to legally and safely pull patients off medications that are not serving them well. Yeah, I think we there's a huge overprescription of statin medications, medications to manage blood sugar, um, the proton pump inhibitors, the SSRIs, I mean, you name it, birth control pills. I like to patients come here many times and one of the first goals is get me off drugs. I say, that's great, but we got to like rebuild your body first. Once you're feeling better, right? Once labs are looking better, then we can slowly start to wean off those medications. But yeah, that's a strength in what we do here. And I love that. And I, patients appreciate that, that they can finally, rather than just be put on medication for three decades, someone's finally analyzing their med list and helping them achieve those goals. Well, and finding the holes that the reason why they might have, let's say high blood pressure, high cholesterol is because they're lacking that foundation. Also, you build them up foundationally and you're like, you don't even need a med whatsoever because we've right. gotten you so healthy as a result of that process. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So, hey, a huge part of um, your research uh, has been in breast cancer. Can you tell me one, why were you drawn to breast cancer to research it in the first place, but what you found out and how you've built upon that knowledge over the years? Really hard to remember when I look back at like what my doctoral project was, because again, it was so long ago. But what must have happened is I, I must have already attended an A4M conference when I was in grad school. So maybe I misspoke earlier because I don't know how else I would have even known about estrogen metabolism. But that really fascinated me, I think, because I had endometriosis, painful periods, whatnot. And I had to pick a project. And, you know, many of my, well, this does make sense because I was in practice. Sorry, it's so long ago. I was practicing as a nurse practitioner while I was getting my doctorate. So it was upon graduation that I heard about nurse practitioner graduation. I heard about A4M and then I was going on, you know, for my doctorate while I was practicing, but still in school. And I think I was just really interested in learning about estrogen metabolism because breast cancer is so prevalent, right? One in eight, it might even be one in six women. I don't know, but it's a leading cancer death for women. And I knew that many healthcare providers didn't really know of any sort of new approaches to breast cancer prevention. Where a lot of patients are just put on estrogen blocking drugs. Many of these patients are not advised on diet at all. And I just knew that there had to be more, I guess. And so I kind of took it upon myself with my doctoral project. I thought this is going to be an opportunity, A, for me to learn more, just because I knew I was going to be prescribing hormones in practice and I wanted to assure the safety of their use. But also it would be helpful for me as far as trying to get to the root cause of my endometriosis. I knew there was a link with this poor estrogen metabolism. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for my former, for my classmates and for my you know, educators, when most of them were doing projects on like community vaccinations or, you know, some sort of, you know, clinical guideline update. And here I am talking about estrogen metabolism and breast cancer, you know, improving estrogen metabolism or breast cancer prevention. And it was a different topic for sure. And I definitely got quizzed as you're, you know, presenting here. I don't even know as you're defending your project, I definitely got, you know, quizzed and, and, and I did well and I passed and graduated. <laughs> 
but it was really, really interesting even to see how the knowledge has progressed from that time. And I can kind of summarize essentially what my project was on. But, you know, back then, what I had learned was that estrogen is not dangerous, right? It's how our body excretes or metabolizes that eliminates estrogen. After estrogen does its job in our body, binds to receptors, helps with hot flashes or whatnot, we then have to excrete that. And some women, based on genetics, but also just based on lifestyle, can't excrete estrogen as well as they should be. And that's something that we could test for. So my project was on how we can test estrogen metabolism and then how we can improve it. And so for patients who are listening, a lot of our patients have done urine hormone testing. They've done Dutch testing, the dried urine test for precision analytical, but really the summary of which it's hard to sum it up in just a few few minutes. But unlike genetics, right? Patients who have genes for breast cancer are really only 5 to 10% of the population. So we know the other 80, 90% is all related to environment. And so we can't change genetics per se, but we can change our environment. And so if on this test, if a patient has endometriosis, cysts, fibroids, breast, uterine, prostate, ovarian, even colon cancer, or high risk for that, if we find on this test that they're poor estrogen metabolizers, we can improve that using nutrition. So there are certain markers we look at on this test. Most dangerous is called 4-hydroxyestrone. And if that's elevated, it can lead to DNA damage and then cancer. And so the literature, what I found, you know, reading over 200 papers at that time was that taking antioxidants like resveratrol and acetylcysteine, we now know glutathione, can help minimize that damage essentially from that marker. And so you don't want to have an elevated 4-hydroxyestrone on your test. We also want to make sure we are improving the 2 to 16 ratio which is, those are just two other markers on this test. If those are lower, unfavorable, this is where cruciferous vegetables come in. So, you, you know, eating more bok choy, kohlrabi, broccoli, kale, you know, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Every week, I tell my patients, get ahead of broccoli or cabbage or whatnot, right? Eat it and then get the next. Just constantly be going through those vegetables. That can improve that ratio, but that's also where the supplement DIM comes in. DIM is like eating six pounds of those vegetables without the gas. So DIM can improve that two to 16 ratio. And we can also see methylation. This is not DNA methylation. This is estrogen methylation, but we kind of assume DNA methylation probably is going to be reflective of the, the estrogen methylation. And that's where B vitamins really help. Methylated B vitamins are just one um, nutritional intervention that can improve uh, methylation. So I, I think even to this day, because I did this weird project at that time, a lot of my classmates, you know, they know that I was the one that was kind of interested in functional medicine. And now 10 years later, more than 10 years later, Functional medicine is becoming more popular. And so you know, now they're reaching back out to me and asking me questions on certain supplements. And those who I thought maybe weren't even open to this mindset now are becoming open. And so I'm proud looking back that I kind of, you know, I, I thought outside the box and had a, a different project because that, I don't know, I guess that kind of just started this this path that I have I've gone down. So I learned a lot and I still use, I still use that information literally every single day in practice. I mean, hormone replacement therapy and I'll say safe hormone replacement therapy has been the, the blunt of my practice. That's how I've, I've built this practice. Could you be missing out on magnesium? If you aren't already taking magnesium, you likely should be. Our deficient food sources, caffeine consumption, stress, and exercise rob us of magnesium, which is an important cofactor for hundreds of processes in the body. It can calm your mind and ease your nerves to help you sleep at night and help reduce anxiety, PMS, and headaches. It can relax your muscles when you have cramps, your bowels when you're constipated, and it's required for energy, hormone production, and vitamin D absorption. If you're interested in exploring more about how magnesium can help support you living a longer, healthier life, and the exact type of magnesium supplement to look for, check out my blog post, The Magnificence of Magnesium, found at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash blog. 
and use code magnesium for 10% off our magnesium chelate product at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the episode. I think you have always been probably even from your friends and family that I've gotten to know over the years, you've always been in any aspect, like ahead of the game, (laughs) ahead of the curve. And so congratulations for one, thinking outside of the box, but then two, it being so pivotal for, like you said, if one in eight women will develop breast cancer and it's the leading cause of death, like how relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, But then two, you know, just even respective, um, reflectively of, just healthcare in general, that's so much of public health. When we talk about disease prevention, it's a lot of the times in the form of vaccinations, colonoscopies, and mammograms, which they serve their purpose for some things. (laughs) But when we really truly think about prevention, just getting back to like what God gave us, like the food and Uh the air we breathe and stuff like that. And it's it's exposures. Those are all early detection. Those are not prevention. A mammogram does not prevent breast cancer. A mammogram can find breast cancer. And I'm not saying don't get a mammogram. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, why can't we put more emphasis on preventing, right? Like you're saying, these cancers. So what if on patients like, you know, myself, who had endometriosis, what if in my teens or my 20s, my mother had tested? I, I think about this all the time, reflecting back, like, where could my health be now had I known 20 years ago? What I know now, but we can't do that. We can only move forward. You know, uh, can't go back in time. But what if we would have done that and I would have been able to improve my estrogen metabolism and my hormone profile, right? Might I have not had the endometriosis and the infertility struggle that I had? I mean, I had the struggle for a reason. And I think God's, you know, taught me empathy <laughs> for patients who have had health issues. Once we have our own health challenges, then we're like, oh, we empathize with others. And yeah, we're thankful for, for where our health is. So there was, there's a reason to the, the journey that I've been on. But back to prevention, I think if we would utilize some of these fancier functional medicine testing options, we could prevent a lot more than just cancer. So for your listeners, um, when is it most appropriate? And like for me, so I have a daughter who is now 11. When should we get tested for our estrogen metabolites and that 2 to 16 ratio? Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of, I don't know, faculty kind of lecture on this exactly. So this is just my personal opinion. But I think we need to wait until they cycle, right? And ideally, wait till after they've had, I have some parents who bring their daughters in here and they're like, they got their first cycle, you know, test my daughter's hormones. And I'm like, well, it's like, give it like three cycles, four cycles, see if they're having any problems. If they're having no challenges, I don't, you know, it's not absolutely necessary that we test their hormones that first year of bleeding. But after a couple of years, after they really you know, have some sort of regularity, I think it'd be great to test in their teens. And then again, if they're symptom free, Maybe wait five years, do it again. But where I see more problems is in the 20s and the 30s. And so I think that's where testing should pick up. But there's no reason you shouldn't or couldn't get a baseline in the teens. I guess I'm just saying many teens are not super symptomatic. I, I, I'm not testing a lot of 12 and 13 year olds. We're waiting a few years. I mean, before we're, I, before I do a lot of testing, but. Well, and two, just to kind of reiterate what you're saying, that the ratios are important for breast health and anti-cancer, but it's also important for, like you said, these symptoms to be anti-endometriosis and stuff like that as well, that you can see those imbalances, correct those imbalances and really help with like the polycystic ovarian cyst and, and everything, as you'd mentioned. Yep. Yeah, very cool. I had originally posed the question of when did you know that you weren't going to follow traditional medicine, but I think it's always apparent that you were raised from the very beginning. What do you feel is going really well in the traditional medical model? Oh, we need, I mean, we need traditional medicine. I think there is a time and place for drugs and surgery. And I guess I'll come back to this analogy, which I haven't stated in a while because I haven't been interviewed in a long time. (laughs) But 
back to that fireman carpenter approach, right? If you have an acute injury, um, my son ate a poisonous berry, right? He hasn't been barely been sick at all in four years, but right, he ate a poisonous berry. What? There, there's not a lot of not a lot that functional medicine was going to offer me at that time, right? I had to take him to the emergency room <laughs> to make sure everything was okay with his heart, whatnot. If you get in a car accident, if you have a heart attack, we need the fire department to put out the big, bad, ugly fires. But their two tools are drugs and surgery, and we need those tools. But once those tools have been utilized upon discharge from the hospital, patients always are not always taught how to prevent future fires. And so that's where functional medicine comes in, being that carpenter, the contractor to try to repair and rebuild the body. So conventional medicine has a right for urgent care, for acute issues, right? Acute sinusitis, whatever. You get pneumonia, you get in a car accident, whatnot. We do need drugs and surgery, right? You have a tumor that needs removed. Great. We have amazing surgeons. By all means, go use traditional conventional healthcare, that fire department. But from a chronic disease management standpoint, I think they've gone wrong because all we do is manage meds. We're not trying to, back to what we were talking about earlier, the patients on a proton pump inhibitor, usually they're on it for decades, like decades, and no one has ever examined their diet. I have patients all the time tell me, I, I went to my GI and I asked, you know, how could I be eating differently to prevent, you know, heartburn or reflux? And aside from the general minimize acidic foods, they're told diet has nothing to do, you know, with your reflux or your GI symptoms, which is absolutely bogus. Well, it's like they forgot what they learned in med school. But they've completely discounted it because they had learned it. But then it's like you almost and the day to day nuances or maybe it's just because they work for insurance companies and not their patients, but they don't get the time to be able to work with the patient on the actual prevention and reversal of disease. It's just here's the bandaid. Which is so true, because if you see a patient every seven minutes and you're getting, you know, you can bill a certain amount for that. The more of those you can see, the more money you're going to make. As I found out when I tried to bill insurance with my practice, which was a huge lesson to learn, right? Insurance wasn't going to pay me to talk to a patient for 30 minutes about changing their diet, putting them on an anti-inflammatory diet and taking probiotic. They didn't want to cover that. They didn't want to cover my time. You know, you could have a big heart as a provider and give patients that time, but you're not going to get compensated for it. And so I think that's why a lot of doctors just don't do it. And I'm not discrediting many of them. Maybe they are doing it. I just don't see a lot of that. And so I think that's where conventional medicines, unfortunately, got it wrong. So you've had your practice now for 11 years, which is crazy. Like you said, just like, how did the time fly like this? But what I've witnessed is just this consistent, beautiful metamorphosis of growth, change, transition from different locations, providers, and just various services um, for patients. So what's been like the hardest part in doing all of the things that you do under one roof? I don't know. We were, it's hard. We were talking about this before the interview. I think some patients look at us like, like we're living some glamorous life, you know, oh, she writes, she has a podcast and she has a practice and this is not glamorous. This is hard. Let me be very clear. I love what I do. And so do you, or we wouldn't be doing it, but it's been really hard. And we've had very humble beginnings. I mean, I am so proud of this beautiful building we have now. I feel like we've arrived, you know, <laughs> this is our fourth location. You know, my first location, we could hear gunshots. We were downtown Cedar Rapids. Like it was not the safest place, which is why my husband didn't like me working till 7 p.m., you know, like walking to my car at night. It was legitimately scary. So we had very humble beginnings and we have had a metamorphosis and I'm proud of where we've landed, but it's been difficult. And I'll also take this time to go back to a unique story just for when I was wanting to start my practice. I thought, how the heck am I going to do this? I'm single. You know, I thought I can take out a business loan. I don't have a lot to lose per se. If I, I can always go get a job as a nurse practitioner if I fail. I guess that was my fallback on like, I'll be okay. But long story short, this was just a big God moment. I've shared with a couple patients over the last several years, but one of my brothers had a pretty severe eye infection on Christmas Eve. And that the, this was, I had started the business. It was like 
mid-December and I was still looking for a location. And my mom said, I want to go to this other church. I heard their Christmas Eve service is really great, which we don't usually go to another church, but we went to a different church. And Dr. Noyes, who is a very successful eye doctor who owned Iowa Eye Care here, he greeted us at the door and said, what are you guys doing here? You know, Merry Christmas, whatnot. He was just asking what was going on in our life. And obviously he noticed Ricky's eye, which is very infected. And he should have gone to the eye doctor previously. And Christmas Eve, you know, he said, after this service, we're taking you in. We're going to Iowa Eye Care. I'm going to see you tonight. And my mom's like, it's Christmas Eve. You need to be with your family. And he said, no, we need to take care of this. And so we go, we went to Iowa Eye Care and I was talking after church Christmas Eve and Dr. Noyes was talking to me about just my life. And I was telling him I was looking for a spot and I just hadn't had any takers. Also, I couldn't afford a huge spot at that that point. And he said, oh, I have a spot for you. And I said, you know, he told me where it was. And I was like, you're kidding. Like, I can't afford that. Not going to happen. And he said, no, you can, you know, we will make this work. And he was one of those blessings along the way where I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Yes, I did have to take a business loan. But he let me kind of work the first six months, kind of work into the rent, what I could afford as I started seeing patients. He let me use the furniture that was in the waiting room, which I eventually bought. You know, he had a heart for those who were trying to, you know, grow their practices because he had been there. He'd walked in my shoes. He had started his practice. Sadly, about a year after I started my practice, he passed away of a heart attack. I just, you know, look back at his funeral was incredible. Like who says a funeral is incredible? But all the people... You know, I was I was one of thousands of people this man had blessed through his life. And it's like, if I can leave just a portion of that legacy in my life, job well done, because he was he was amazing. And I do look back at those God moments, because it was difficult starting off. But yet I feel like there's been a plan. And this has been my passion from the beginning. So I've just followed where I felt like God has been leading me. And you know what, he's blessed us with what we've needed and the times we've needed it. And that was that was one of the first like, okay, things are falling into place here. Here we go. We're doing this. Because a female nurse practitioner, pretty much straight out of school in independent practice, there weren't any. This wasn't happening, right? Even the medical doctors, even surgeons, I mean, there are very few that make it an independent practice. They just, it's just too hard. Back to, we were talking about overhead before we started you know, recording this podcast. It's really hard for one provider to cover the overhead of a clinic. And that's been a big, another big stressor of, of mine, you know, running this business. So, and I can share some others too. I don't know, maybe I should take a breather here, let you say something. Yeah, no, I think, you know, again, just Dr. Noyes, what a blessing. And then too, you know, our hope and prayer then for ourselves is like, man, then how can we continue to pay those blessings forward, Right. you know, for future generations and future providers. And two, I think you and I've talked about this in the past, like, man, it's been really, really hard. But when you sit and reflect on that hardness, it's like, we're so grateful that it was hard because of what we learned and what we gained kind of as a result of just that, man, it is worth the roller coaster sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we but, question that, but no, we, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then too, I, I've heard the phrase, you know, like the, the cost of education, you know, like I, I tried to open up a second clinic a couple years ago and just lost a ton of money and hemorrhaged it. And, you know, when I reflect on it, it's just like, yeah, that was the cost of education. And I still learned a lot. It was painful financially, but why is it so simple for us to forget God provides exactly what we need when, when we, we need, need it? it? Not when we want it, when we need it. So yeah, no, so true. I think another hard lesson I've learned here, which is kind of difficult to talk about on the podcast, because obviously this is public and my staff's going to listen to this, but staffing has been really hard too. And that's been, that's a big expense when you have, when you lose staff and you have to retrain staff. It's, been such a learning experience. Like you and I are not just clinicians that work, you know, eight to five or whatever the hours are, right? It's like, we have to run the operation. And we've had people, you know, just, just to, there's a job shortage right now, you know, in in nursing. And 
we could help so many more people if we had more staff on board. Staff are difficult to manage per se and that their schedules and, you know, all the things that come with each individual's personality and whatnot. But we've had people interview beautifully and you think this individual is going to be amazing. And then they like, don't show up to the first day of work. And you're like, what's going on? Or you have, you know, two interviews for someone. I don't show up to the third one. And you're like, did that just happen? Like it just finding the good team has been, we've always had a good team, but because we're small, like finding and retaining the staff that you invest in and you train in is hard because we can, we will never be able to compete with large hospital organizations for, we give retirement, but we can't give the retirement they give. We can't give the amount of health insurance they give. And so it's hard to find the right staff who are okay with that. Like you and I have made, you know, financial sacrifices with our business. My husband left his job where we had some health insurance to come work for us. For the clinic, we're like, we take this risk, like, okay, here we go. We're not going to have, you know, some of those benefits, which again, it has panned out. But I think that's been difficult as, as well, just trying to manage, maintain, equip and like build up that team and have that great energy where we can just conquer the world and, and serve our patients. And I think that's another hard part of having the business. I don't know. There, there are just so many different <laughs> difficult pieces, but. I, I earlier I said, you know, just caring. I've had this this stress kind of on my back too from the very beginning of like, okay, most clinics you go there and you you they have multiple providers, multiple front office and back office staff, and it's like I require all that, but I've been for the most part the only full time provider here. So it's like carrying all that overhead and being able to take a vacation and knowing, okay, we're not bringing any money this week. Like that's been really difficult. Um, but we finally have you know other providers. We've had some part time providers through the years. Now we have another full time provider, and it has made the world of a difference. Even like transitioning to cash-based practice was a huge risk that we took. Like looking back, I was so scared to do that. And I know you've done that. And it was the absolute best decision we ever made. And we should have done it before. Just as a small practice billing insurance, we weren't going to make it. And that's why a lot of them, you know, they just don't make it. And even to communicate to our that to our patients when they come see me, even if they're paying for a half an hour visit, like they're not just paying for my time. In that room, and that moment, they're paying for all the time ahead of time that we're prepping. You know, the front office is scheduling that patient and then medical assistants are getting everything in the computer and they're calling in prescriptions. And, you know, essentially, we have front office, back office, all of the overhead of the clinic has to be covered within whatever we're charging that patient for that, that half an hour visit, whatnot. It's not just like I'm, you know, I'm pocketing that, that money, it, it goes to the overhead of the huge operation. And so... I heard once that the, the perfect, the magic number for practice, small practices is three providers. If you can have three full-time providers, then, you know, overhead is, is split much better. And that's, we have two full-time and a third part-time. And that's a goal that I want to get that, that third full-time provider, because I think that'll take some of the stress off, off my back per se. <laughs> but that is, you know, that's been a, that's a part of the business, part of the struggle. Working somewhere else, you'd, I'd probably get six weeks, you know, four to six weeks paid vacation off. <laughs> And that's, you know, not something being self-employed that you get, but that's something that I'm aware of. And I've, you know, chosen uh, here for a reason, but that's just, that's part of the struggle when I'm practicing. I have to practice what I preach when I tell my patients they need time off, but like, I got to take that time off too. And I've learned that the hard way. And from you, even how important it is to, to schedule and vacations and breaks and, and whatnot. I wanted to share my excitement today over our newest product that should assist with weight loss. It's called Metabolism Support. It works by increasing GLP-1 and reducing ghrelin, which I'll explain here in a minute. 
GLP-1 may sound familiar to you because over the past year, our clinic has had excellent success using GLP-1 agonist injections like semaglutide for weight loss. As a reminder, GLP-1 agonists delay the release of food from the stomach, making you feel fuller longer so you eat less and lose weight. However, today for those of you who have never taken a GLP-1 agonist or who don't want the injection or cost of the injection, I have another solution. We just launched Metabolism Support. It contains a patented blend of lemon verbena and hibiscus called Metabolade and green coffee bean extract. I want to explain to you here how this works and the balance of two hormones in your body. Your adipose cells, aka fat cells, secrete leptin, which is your satiation hormone that tells your body you're full. Leptin and ghrelin have somewhat of an inverse relationship. Ghrelin is your hunger hormone, makes you want to eat. Think ghrelin, growling for more food. Your body doesn't always want you to lose weight and can fight against you, and I'll explain why. As you lose weight, you have less leptin and GLP-1 telling you that you're full and more ghrelin, that growling hormone that makes you feel hungry. So as you lose weight, many people actually get more hungry and we need to stop that. And there's a solution. We now can take a supplement that increases GLP-1 and reduces ghrelin to help keep us full and eat less. The green coffee extract also has shown to help reduce body weight and improve metabolism. Trials have shown individuals on this product can lose 6% of their total body fat in eight weeks time. And if you're losing weight, blood pressure and cholesterol, all are going down, really reducing cardiovascular risk factors. Of note, this product is 100% caffeine free. I don't understand how, but it is. This is also excellent when used in combination with berberine, fish oil and bergamot, all of which also can reduce cardiovascular risk. I also have to emphasize that you will have much better success with any of the GLP-1 boosters when you combine them with lifestyle changes. I also always say there's no pill, potion, or powder that will replace lifestyle changes. You will get better, longer lasting results when you eat clean, exercise, and reduce stress in combination with taking the supplement. You can take this when on semaglutide if transitioning off of it or of course, if also not taking it. This metabolism support supplement should be taken 30 minutes before your largest meal of the day for best results. And also remember, you will be better able to lose weight when you're hydrated. So start your day with large water with electrolytes and start every meal with protein. Use code weight loss for 10% off metabolism support at yourlongevityblueprint.com. And know that we now have an in-body machine at the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic. So if you want to see your body fat percentage before starting a supplement or even a GLP-1 agonist injection, we can provide you with this information to track your progress. Well, and I think too, for you and I as mothers and female healthcare providers, one thing that I underestimated growing up, and even like in chiropractic school, it didn't really like dawn on me until I was probably six months pregnant <laughs> myself, but trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to juggle if my kid is sick on a day or if I'm running late to work because my kid had a crisis, didn't want to put on their shoe to get out the door on time so that I could get on my patients. But then even to supporting my team, who is also largely female and Mm -hmm. becoming mothers and that just that transition, it is a different transition. I mean, I remember when my daughter was born and I'm sure when William was born that you're just like, what did I do with my time before William? That it just, you know, that energy emotionally, cognitively that it takes, but then for us to lead teams of female providers and support staff, that's like, oh, you have a sick kid today, or there's a school delay because of the weather, then how does that affect patient care? And it's just one of those. It's so um, hard. It's just so hard. Yeah. Because then we're left short staff, right? Even I, of course I support breastfeeding. That's what, you know, I, I pumped four times a day while I was working. But even, you know, for a staff member to be pumping, right, that takes time away from patient care. 
So it's like, who then has to pick up the slack on that? It's, it's so, so much a team environment here that we just have to know if someone's coming in late or someone's pumping or, you know, whatever. We all have to work together, but it is, it's hard because what we do is not a desk job, right? We don't all just, you know, sit on our computer. And yeah, I mean, it's, we have, we're actively with, with patients all day long. It is, it's just tough. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, I think too, what's humbled me over the years is even just how my patients and your patients have loved on us, you know, and how much our patients have given us grace. There's been time, I mean, I have my kids after they were born, they came to work with me because maternity leave. And if I wasn't in the office, um, patients couldn't get care and I wanted to support, you know, my team and all that. So my team then would be holding my kids and my kids would be passed around (laughs) the office because patients are like, we just want to hold a baby. Yeah. you know, just how humbling that's been for you and I, for patients to love on our kids and pray over our kids, but then also support us in that season of life, you know, as well. Absolutely. I, I'm rarely sick. I had food poisoning twice in the past six weeks. It was terrible. I hadn't thrown up in like 20 years, probably. And, you know, of course, a patient who had rescheduled twice due to the ice storm, you know, is on that day. And then I'm sick and I can't come in. And it's just, but they, yes, they extend that grace. And, you know, nothing we do here is so urgent. So it's okay if we have to <laughs> push an appointment out. But I, I totally agree. Our staff, well, our staff is amazing, but our patients also have been amazing. We wouldn't be here today without them. Very thankful. Well, for and I've witnessed this at your clinic and then even just in my own, just how much ownership everyone on your team takes so that this is a small business of if they don't show up, just how hard that is and put stressors like on everyone else. I was sick at your office getting IVs from that kidney infection. And my husband had a work call. So he drops me off. He has to go do something. And then I'm texting Abby, my girl, to come get me. Meanwhile, Brittany had a sick kid, had her oh husband take gosh. off so that she could come in. And I've witnessed that though, like of your support team too, of just like how humbling it is that they understand how important they are to the entire operation and self-sacrificing for the success of your clinic, my clinic. But like, it is also like from a truly from a space of like, they love what we do and what they do mm-hmm. as a part of it. They love learning. They love our staff meetings. Yeah. And if they know they're going to be late, they're going to get set up for the next day. So they're ready to roll, set up the pellet trays or prep the charts or whatever it is. They're always thinking ahead because they like being organized also because we have a smooth running ship and they want to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Can you tell me a couple of things in practice? We can talk about the hard things, but what makes it all the more rewarding? Yeah. I wish I, I, I wish I could have spent like a whole hour just writing these things down. Um, Obviously, it is like seeing the transformation in the patients, like just feeling like I was a vessel, right? I'm not the answer. I'm just a vessel, right? A tool to help another. And I mean, when I started, I, again, when I started, I was like, I felt like I was on an island, like kind of just doing this weird thing in Iowa and doing, you know, functional medicine here. And I'll never forget some of my first cases. One, I just had a woman literally change her diet. She had a rash covering her body head to toe. And since I've seen tons of these, right? But it's like they're they're on steroids for life. They just, no one can figure out why they have their rash. And all I did, I think it was gluten. It might've been dairy. I don't know. Took her off gluten. Still comes and sees me every year. You know, her skin's totally, I mean, she, her entire body had these weird dots, this weird rash, just changed her diet and her rash went away and she's forever thankful, right? So there was another case of uh, the entire family had migraines. They'd have, we'd have to dim the lights that one would come in, in a wheelchair. I mean, they just debilitating migraines. And again, Adam changed the whole family, changed their diet and the migraines went away. Not every case is this easy. I'm not here to just say you change your diet and your life, well, your life will change, but uh, not just that it's going to just fix everything. And I started to like really think, okay, I'm on to something here. Like <laughs> 
this really, this functional medicine thing really does work. And I guess there are a lot of other cases. I've seen so many women who we've been able to spare, save from hysterectomies, who they were just scared to death to have the surgery. And we got them, we did estrogen metabolism testing. We got them on progesterone. They still have their parts. They're super thankful. Again, just seeing the the gratefulness from these patients and from their husbands. Like I'll have husbands come up to me at church and say, hey, thanks for getting me and my wife back. You know, and jokingly, he'll say something like, I don't say my crazy wife, because the wife literally felt like she was losing it, right? Because her hormones were off and her libido was tanked and she didn't have energy and she was losing her hair and that can make a marriage fall apart. And so when we get that wife back, that can help that marriage. And so just having patients, I'll even see one at the airport, just, you know, say, that's my doctor, (laughs) you know, like, thank you. That just, that warms my heart. And I, yeah, I just knowing that I've played some role in their transition back to freeing them from their sickness to function so they can accomplish whatever it is in life, be that grandparent at that soccer game without their joint pain, you know, or whatever it is that just makes it worth continuing. Well, and I've been so lucky when I sit in your, your ID room and there's multiple patients in there at the same time, it's been really fun. And it's one of those things that like, man, I wish like we could record the conversations, but those are very sacred conversations, right? Because we're talking about each other's health and, and health stories. And some of the stories that your patients have told me, I appreciate how much that you say that you're just a vessel, that you know that God's the true physician, that you're a vessel. But what's so cool is the immediate trust that occurs in your office of you did a food sensitivity and you told the patient they need to get off gluten. They did the work, you know, like you showed them, you showed them, but but just how much buy-in that they are willing to make sometimes radical diet lifestyle changes. But how inspiring that when they start feeling good, how they truly sometimes come back longer than they were ever from like, what they can remember. Um, but two, um, back to the conversations in your IV room, just the beacon of hope that there's something else that can be done. Some of your patients have spent tens of thousands of dollars being yo-yoed around from provider to provider, not knowing or getting, you know, kind of garbage diagnosis. Um, today at our staff meeting, Hannah brought up a patient was diagnosed with pelvic congestion. And, you know, we kind of, at first we both kind of like laughed at the diagnosis. I was like, well, actually that really kind of says a lot about what it could be and what we could do to fix that. But, you know, patients are getting a diagnosis, but then what do I do with this diagnosis is is largely empty, you know? I love new patient appointments because we just get to go through all their paperwork. And ahead of time, I usually kind of have a game plan just because I see a lot of the same thing over and over and over and over again. But but after it's many times after that first visit, the patient is a they're they're glossed over and they're overwhelmed because we've looked at their fingernails and looked at their tongue and just, you know, (laughs) done some things that other providers haven't. But they just are so thankful. Many times they just thank me after the first appointment. And I'm like, don't thank me yet. You can thank me when you're better. Let's wait till you're wait till we move the needle and you know, you're feeling better. But they just feel heard. Because they intuitively have known there's a root cause to why I'm feeling how I'm feeling. And I don't just need a Band-Aid. I don't just need a medication. And so I think that is something that both of our offices do is really extend hope to these patients who have been in waiting for a long time. That wraps up part one. Thanks for listening in today. And please stay tuned for next week's episode, which is part two of this conversation, where you get to hear how I approach my patient cases, my faith walk, how I maintain my health, the non-negotiables in my house, my guilty pleasures when it comes to food, my favorite podcast books, advice to other busy moms, and my future goals. See you then. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. 
One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. Thanks for tuning in to the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast these past three years for three nonstop seasons. I sincerely appreciate you sharing this content across the globe. For the next at least few months, I'm going to be taking a much needed break from launching new episodes between seasons three and four. So over the next month, we'll be replaying our top episodes from season three, and I encourage you, please take this time to go back and listen to episodes you missed or re-listen to your favorites. And if you've loved the show, please take this time to write me a quick review on Apple Podcasts. That's the biggest thank you I could receive. I'm unsure when season four will be launching, but as always, I'm hoping for an amazing lineup of guests coming on the show. More big names, great stories, and life-changing information. Stay tuned. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.